everyone, welcome back to our Streaming Science podcast series. I'm your host, Olivia Doyle from DeLand, Florida. I'm a senior AEC student with a specialization in communication and leadership development at the University of Florida. Streaming Science is a student-driven multimedia science literacy program connecting you to scientists and scientific topics to enrich your everyday life. You're listening to our Science of Superstorms playlist. Superstorms are complex with multiple scientific and social layers. In this podcast, I'm investigating how storms impact the Florida citrus industry and the spread of citrus disease, more specifically citrus canker. I chose this topic because I am currently a communications intern at the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. I've had the opportunity to learn more about different citrus diseases while working on projects throughout my internship, and I found an interesting connection between superstorms and the citrus health in Florida. For this podcast interview, I spoke with Justin Ezel, Assistant Bureau Chief for the Bureau of Citrus Budwood Registration. Justin works with the Citrus Health Response Program to prevent, detect, and respond to citrus diseases in Florida. In this interview, you will learn about citrus canker, how superstorms have had a role in the spread of this citrus disease in Florida, and how the industry has adapted. My name is Justin Ezel. I work with the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, Division of Plant Industry, under the Bureau of Citrus Bellwood Registration. So can you just explain a little bit how did you get to FDAX DPI? I've grown up in and around agriculture my whole life, mostly around the citrus field. I attended the University of Florida, their School of Agriculture. I graduated in December, and in February, I was able to work with the department, started working, and have been here ever since. That's exciting. So fellow Gator, we like to hear that. Go Gators. For sure. What is the Bureau of Citrus Budwood Registration? The Bureau of Citrus Budwood Registration is a program that is designed to help citrus nurserymen and growers get varieties that are basically horticulturally true to type. So if you're wanting a Valencia orange, you know you're going to get a Valencia orange you know that that material is going to be disease-free. So it's, it's designed to help, like I said, help the nurserymen, help the growers. Yeah, I can definitely see how that's important in the industry. So what do you like most about your position as Assistant Bureau Chief of the Citrus Budwood Registration? What I like most is probably the, the ability to get out in the field and, and meet with the growers and meet with the nurserymen and not be stuck behind a desk all day. You know, I love that interaction and, and, and working with these guys, citrus nurserymen and women, on problems, on issues they may have, things that we see at other nurseries that we might be able to help them with. Just, just in general, just being outdoors with them. Yeah, so some, something always new and exciting and meeting For new sure. people. Yeah, so you mentioned that you're not behind a desk all day and you get to kind of be out and about and go different places and talk to different people. Could you define a typical day? Do you have a typical day? What might that look like? Wow. You know, it it almost varies from day to day. Uh, It does change, but mostly I, you know, you come in in the mornings, you already know the day before what our game plan is. I, one of the programs we talked about, or I didn't talk about earlier, that I oversee is our commercial citrus nursery inspection program. And ultimately what that is, we inspect all of our nursery growers on a 30-day cycle. So we know we're going to be at this nursery every 30 days. 
So that's one aspect that we're doing. So if there's any issues that arise with that nursery, I may be going out there that day, uh, talking to that nurseryman, finding out what's going on, what we need to do, uh, or just going to, to make a site visit and go along with a normal inspection. But with that being said, we also we've, there's always meetings going on. There's travel within the bureau. We've got three main locations that, that we have. We've got our Winter Haven facility, our Chiefland facility, and our Lacrosse facility. So in a typical week, I may make visits to all of those locations as well, dealing with our bureau chief and and people. Always something different. Though. For that's, sure, keeps it exciting and on the road and. That's really interesting. So you mentioned that part of what the Citrus Budwood Registration Bureau does is make sure that what you see is what you get and it the citrus from the start is disease-free. So what kind of diseases do you deal with? On my level and what we deal with, we deal with all kinds of citrus diseases. But the two that I'm most familiar with and what really, you know, our program deals with result around citrus greening and citrus canker. So can you tell me a little bit more about citrus canker? What what does it look like? Well, citrus canker is a bacteria. And ultimately, when it gets a little older, the best way to describe it is you see this little, on a leaf, for instance, you see this little brown, what we call a lesion, a little dot. And around that will be this bright yellow halo. So it's almost, you you, you know it when you see it. So what does that mean for the grower if their groves have citrus canker? If they have citrus canker, ultimately canker causes, you know, premature fruit drop. It eventually will kill the tree. Here in Florida, we're more of a processed juice state. So most of our fruit goes for orange juice. But there are there is a portion of the state that does ship, you know, internationally for, for the fresh fruit market. And okay. citrus canker is a big deal for the fresh fruit guys because with these lesions that I spoke about, you know, it makes the fruit look nasty. doesn't alter the taste or anything like that, but just in general, you can't have a piece of fruit that just looks nasty. Nobody wants to buy it. And then with that being said, with them shipping across to different countries and things like that, if that country doesn't have citrus canker, they're not going to want to accept the potential risk of getting it from a area that does have canker. So how is citrus canker established here in Florida? It seems like it's pretty established. It is. We've had multiple programs aimed at eradicating it. I believe what I understand is it started back in the early 1900s with some seedlings that were brought over from Japan. They quickly eradicated that, and I believe they had another bout of citrus canker in the 30s and then again in the the early 80s and they were able to eradicate it at those times we ended up having canker rear itself again in the the mid 90s and after that it seemed like it started being a little more prevalent say late 2004 we had uh, or mid 2004 we had some hurricanes that crisscrossed the state and that was a time when canker really established itself because, you know, cankers spread through wind-driven rain. And what better way to, to spread it with, you know, a hurricane? So the topic of this podcast, something that we're kind of focusing in on are superstorms. And obviously, especially here in Florida, one of the most prevalent superstorms are hurricanes. So what role did that superstorm, the hurricanes in 2004 and 2005, play in the establishment and spread of citrus canker? 
Well, when the canker program really started back up, I'd say 2000, 2001, we had a good grasp on, I think, we were getting to the point where I felt like, anyways, that we were, we were going to eradicate this thing. And in 2004, we had, we had three, three hurricanes, Charlie, Francis, and Gene, that crisscrossed the center of the state. And I think from that point, it just became so, so widespread, the inoculum, that we just weren't going to be able to, to catch up to it and, and get rid of it. One thing about that, not only did it spread it, but the storm itself, but there's a point where you, you can't see it. You know, at the early stages, you, you just, you don't see it. You don't know that it's there. And one way to easily spread that other than a storm is, is humans themselves, you know, not yeah. decontaminating, not washing their hands, not washing their tools or anything like that. You don't see it. You don't know that it's there. Next thing you know, you're trimming this plant and you go trim this plant and you just spread it and not, not because you wanted to, but you didn't know that it was there. So Mother Nature isn't fully responsible. It's definitely something that can happen, you know, person to person. And the For sure. I mean, Mother Nature plays a big part in it, but so does the human factor. As you were saying, there were efforts to eradicate citrus canker prior to these storms. And there were eradication programs and just working really hard to get rid of it in the state. In what ways were the storms discouraging to the people working on those programs to eradicate citrus canker well you know you work so hard you work long days and into the night i mean <laughs> you're, you're doing things to try to to help the grower ultimately you know so we you, one less disease is is better for the grower and with the storms coming through that was that was quite discouraging because there was part of us that knew hey man this stuff is going to be spread all over and there's nothing we can do about it i mean it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the, the most discouraging part of it. You have no control over that storm. Yeah, completely out of your hands and up to Mother Nature. That yes. didn't necessarily work in the favor of those eradication Not at programs. All. How were the efforts to eradicate shifted after these storms, after it was kind of realized, like, this is everywhere now? What? How did that change the way that we looked at citrus canker? Well, we looked at citrus canker as, hey, it's here, so we've got to learn how to live with it. Ultimately, there's there's certain things we can do from the the early production of citrus trees before they get out into the field, being in closed structures, like I mentioned earlier, that we, we, we do our inspections on and that whole program. But once the trees are in the field, you know, they're, they're, there they are again, back in, in Mother Nature's hands, so to speak. There are chemicals that are used to help not eliminate canker, but help help the tree prevent from, from, from getting it. So. Okay. So how can measures be taken, you know, looking forward in the future to protect the Florida citrus industry from superstorms and like those hurricanes? I know you mentioned those indoor structures. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, yeah, for sure. The indoor structures, you know, we have a program set up where all citrus is propagated has to be done in a closed insect proof structure. Most of these structures obviously will keep out the windblown rain, so your only risk of moving canker, if it got inside, would be the human factor, which it has happened before, and you know, but we quickly eliminate that. But it narrows down those opportunities. For, for sure. sure. So when that tree goes out, you know that you're getting a clean, clean tree to begin with. Because I can't remember exactly how many 
how many nurseries we had that actually were truly impacted from a canker standpoint after those 04 storms. Um, I know there were a handful. Yeah. I can think of some of their names right off the top of my head, but, um, and really it was just a matter of where they were located. Yeah. Uh, if they had a grove very close nearby that, that had canker in it, you know, that maybe we hadn't already found because that's mainly what we were doing. That was during the canker eradication program. So we were inspecting groves for canker. Maybe we haven't got to that grove yet. We just didn't know that it had it. Um, but even with that being said, there wouldn't have been too much we could have done days before the yeah. storm to have gotten rid of it, yeah, you know, to, to save the nursery trees. But Was it, like, difficult after the fact to continue that, or was it just kind of picking up where you left off, going to the next grove, or did you kind of have to work backwards and say, <sighs> now after the storm, do we need to go back? In? Yeah, after the storm, it kind of, you know, everything was still in effect. So the citrus canker eradication program was still in effect even after those storms. So when those nurseries came down with actual citrus canker, we, we had they had to treat that nursery no different than they treated the grove. So basically you were, you find a positive tree in there, you're taking that tree out and then the 1,900-foot circle around it. So, in a sense, that would wipe out that whole nursery and its stock just from one one tree being positive. Or if that nursery fell close enough to a citrus grove that actually had canker in it, then that arc would have been thrown into that nursery um, and take those trees out. So, it wasn't until when, 2005, that the program actually ended. So, oh, wow. there were some nurseries that were definitely impacted and lost a lot of trees prior to them ending the program because and, of the hurricane. And that's before they were inside the structures yes. that were... We did not go inside until, you know, 2007-ish time frame. We started the program late 06, started and closing everything in 2007. And by the end of 2007, beginning of 2008, every tree that we have produced since then has been inside a enclosed insect-proof structure. Gotcha. So that protects it from scissor screening, but had those structures been there around the time of those storms, at least those nurseries would have been a little more. They would have been a lot more protected. And you never know with with mother nature. I mean, you could have, you know, we, we had a recent storm Irma that came through and impacted a lot of our citrus nurseries. Didn't devastate them. I mean, the structures held up well, but it's mother nature. Yeah. I mean, you can only protect so far. That's right. Like you said, the hurricanes of 04 and the nurseries then not being protected like they are today. And I, and I don't know what difference that would have made back then. It probably would have made a, a big difference because I know since the eradication program ended, we definitely have a lot more inoculum, a lot more canker that, that's out there than we did back then. And having the structures now enclosed, and even with a hurricane like Irma that came up the, the middle of the state not too long ago, I thought we fared pretty well after that storm. We did have some damage out there, but nothing like, you know, what everybody envisioned and what, what could have happened. Gotcha. So are there any other ways that the industry has adapted since the establishment of Kanker? I mean, they've adapted from the, from the aspect that you know, maybe they're having to spray more to, to help mitigate the risk of, of getting canker. I mean, like I said, ultimately, it's, it's, it's hard. Mother Nature's, <laughs> with the way this disease works, 
it, it's hard to combat it with Mother Nature. Yeah, no doubt about that. What does the department do as a regulatory agency to detect citrus canker and control it as much as possible? We've kind of touched on some of those things, but what what role is the Department of Agriculture play in that? Well, the department has a, a couple different programs set up, one being the Citrus Health Response Program that that does basically field inspections. So not only are they looking for canker, they're looking for other diseases that possibly we may not have yet, but hey, we're out there looking. So if we do have it, we, maybe we can catch it early and, and get into that eradication mode and, and, and get rid of it before it becomes a, a big problem for the state. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us a little bit today about citrus canker and superstorms and everything happening at the division to combat those things. For sure. Thank you. Thank you, Justin, for joining us today. I hope you all enjoyed listening to our guests digging deeper into superstorms and their impact on citrus canker, as well as the industry's resilience. I'm your host, Olivia Doyle. Stay tuned for more tracks from our Streaming Science series on streamingscience.com and connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.